when I was a teenager, I used to be a sneaker collector. And I used to pride myself in that. Uh, I used to collect uh, mainly basketball sneakers. And I used to pride myself on my knowledge of sneakers and um, the number of sneakers that I had. And when I was 18, there was a specific sneaker that became popular that was made by a fashion designer and a music producer that during that time, a lot of rappers and hip-hop artists were wearing, and because I saw them wearing them, I automatically wanted them. And so I started saving up money, doing whatever I could to be able to buy those sneakers. And finally, I was able to get my hands on the sneakers. I went on eBay, and I purchased the first pair that I saw that was my size. And I would wear those shoes everywhere because I wanted the attention that came with them. You know, I didn't really, I had never seen an authentic pair, a real pair. I just saw them on, on, um, on TV, and so I just I purchased the pair. And one day I wore them to the mall and I was uh, with my brother and, our, and two of our friends who were also into sneakers. And little did I know that I, that day I was going to run into the very designer of those sneakers. And as we saw him, uh, he was accompanied by another artist and my friends and my brother encouraged me to go get my sneakers autographed. And after building enough, cur uh, enough courage, I finally walked up and... As he saw me walking uh, towards him, he saw my sneakers and he, he smiled and gave me like this nod of approval. And in my mind, I was thinking, yeah. <laughs> but as I got closer, I started to notice that his facial expression changed. And he had this confused face. Um, and as I got closer, I was like, uh-oh, what's going on? When I got to where he was, he asked me to turn around, and so I hesit hesitantly turned around, and he said, where did you get those? And I told him I got them on eBay. And his friends started laughing. He said, those are knockoffs. Those are <laughs> not legit. And I felt like I wanted to die. <laughs> and immediately, so many thoughts came to mind. I wanted to walk into the closest shoe store and buy an authentic pair. Um, and at that time, I had placed all my hope, all of my security in those sneakers. And then meeting the very designer of these sneakers and finding out that these sneakers were not genuine or not real uh, led me to uh, feel embarrassed and ashamed. Uh, that led me to become uh, a more studious person regarding shoes so <laughs> uh, so I got to the point where I was able to distinguish real or uh, authentic sneakers from fake ones just by looking at them and that's something that you know we can do for this temporary world but this morning in our passage today James wants us to consider something that holds eternal value something that's far more important and James wants us to, to examine our faith. So this morning, the sermon is titled, Can Your Faith Save You? And it's one of the most important passages in this letter, in the letter of James. There are two general beliefs about salvation. 
One, some people believe that they are good, and their standard for measuring that that goodness or that that uh, their goodness is based on what others do, and not what God says. And many people live their lives this way. They think that they're good because they either provide for their family, they do good deeds, and they believe they will go to heaven. Another group would say, I'm going to heaven because I believe in God. Only atheists go to hell. I have faith in Jesus. I go to church. I read my Bible. I'm going to heaven. But these views go against what we find in Scripture. And one of the most important passages regarding salvation is found in, you don't have to turn there, but you can refer, uh, you know, turn to this later. Uh, is found in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, where Paul writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And Paul makes it clear that man cannot earn his salvation. Salvation is an undeserved gift that comes from God by his grace. And Paul emphasizes that it's not by works that it's a gift, and it's not our own doing. So we see that man cannot get to heaven by his own works. And the reason is because God is not asking for a few good works here and there. God requires perfection. This is why we need to turn to Jesus Christ. We must admit that we are not perfect and repent for not loving God as we should and not loving our neighbor as we should. We must turn to Christ in repentance and ask Him for forgiveness, putting our faith in Him and His work on the cross, believing that it is sufficient for the salvation of our souls. And this is what Paul says salvation is. It's by grace through faith in Christ. This is the means by which God determined to forgive people for their sins. On the other hand, salvation is not a result of a simple belief in God. It's not to say that it's not enough to say that one has faith in Christ and then live however he or she desires without submitting to Christ, without producing works that demonstrate the genuineness of that faith. James says, no. True saving faith is a faith in Christ that transforms a person's life. If your life hasn't been transformed by your faith, you may want to check your faith. Because it's possible that your faith is not a saving faith. It's not genuine. And James warns us to not be deceived thinking that we're right with God if we're really not. This is the kind of faith that James warns about. He says, no, no. If your faith is genuine, it will transform your lifestyle, which will be evident in your good works. Or in other words, in your obedience to Christ. And so I'm going to ask you to turn to James chapter 2 with me. And if you're using the black pew Bibles that are located in front of you, uh, you can find that on page 1012. And we're going to read James 2. Verses 14 through 26.
This is the word of the Lord. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by his by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. If you're taking notes this morning, there are two main points. The first point is fruitless faith is useless faith. (coughs) Fruitless faith is useless faith. In James verses 14 through 17, James presents the truth that he wants his hearers to understand and then illustrates it. The truth is this. Faith Without works cannot save a person. And we find this in verses 14 through 17. And there James asks two rhetorical questions. The first one is, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? And the answer is, it's no good. The second question is, can that faith save him? The answer again is no. This is the first truth that James wants to get across. A faith that is unnoticeable, that is, that's not lived out, that has no works to back it up, is useless. According to Ephesians, the object of faith is salvation. When James says that a workless faith is useless, he says that that kind of faith, the useless faith, does not serve its purpose. It does not save. It doesn't lead to salvation. And the second question, can that faith save him? Notice what James emphasizes there in verse 14. He writes, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? James isn't saying that this person has genuine faith. He specifies that this person says or claims to have faith. In other words, this person may say something like, I'm Christian, I believe in Jesus, but whose life does not back up what he or she claims. 
James asks, is this genuine faith? A faith that is simply based on a mere profession, but is not demonstrated by a transformed lifestyle as evidence of that faith, is not genuine, according to James. It's a faith that lacks proof. It's a faith that Jesus describes uh, in Matthew 15, 8 as, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. It's all talk, but no walk. Genuine faith is internal and invisible, but it is visible to God, invisible to us. We can't see it. The way God has determined to give a person assurance of his faith is by one's lifestyle, by one's obedience or fruit that is produced in one's life, which James refers to as works. Now remember, the book of James, the Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew 5, 1 Peter 1 and 1 John, provide different tests for a person to check his or her faith. For example, in James 1, we talked about how we are to respond, how the Christian is to respond to trials. In James 2, he talks about whether or not a person shows favoritism. In James 3, as our brother Paul explained, he goes on to describe how a genuine Christian uses his or her tongue. In 1 John 1, uh, John talks about walking in light. In, in chapter 2, he talks about loving God and hating the sinful system of this world. And then in 3, he talks about loving the brothers and sisters in the faith. So these are all different ways to validate our faith. This is how we can have assurance that our faith is genuine. Not that we do this perfectly because none of us uh, can do this perfectly. But genuine faith or authentic faith is marked by growth in these things. Growing in our obedience to Christ and His commandments. So James asks, What good is it to have a faith that professes to believe, that agrees with the truths of Scripture, but does not have works? James adds, Can that faith save him? If we look at what Paul writes about faith, once again in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Can faith save someone? And based on this passage, or this verse in Ephesians, yes, it can. But what James is making sure that we understand is that it's a certain kind of faith that saves. In this case, in the examples that James has just provided, a mere profession of faith that bears no fruit is a faith that does not save. Why? Because it's not genuine. And James will help us understand that good works or obedience to Christ will always accompany genuine faith. James emphasizes this, the uselessness of fruitless faith, four times in our passage this morning. There in verse 14, 
James asks, What good is it, my brothers, if someone has faith but does not have works? There in verse 17, he adds, So faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. In verse 20, he says, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? And in verse 26, he says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So James wants to make this very clear. And he he also provides the answer. And the answers in verse 14, James says that this kind of faith is good for nothing. In verse 17, he says that this kind of faith is dead. In verse 20, he says that this kind of faith is useless. And in verse 26, he says that it's dead. In other words, a person may claim to have faith or be Christian or Christian, but his or her lifestyle may contradict that profession of faith. Many believe that claiming to believe in Christ or agreeing with Scripture is enough to be saved. But that is a lie that will cost many people their souls. Remember a few weeks ago or a couple of months, a few months ago, we went through what James has to say about being doers of the word. He calls those who claim to have faith in Christ to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Why? Because to not be a doer of the word is to deceive oneself. James says that that faith, the faith without words, does not save. And so he provides an example in verses 15 through 17. He says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace and be, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So what James is not saying is that if someone has come up to you in this week and asked you for help, and you said no, and you didn't give them help, that your faith is not genuine. That's not what James is saying. What James is saying is, if someone comes to you for help and you respond with, Oh, I pray that God provides for your needs. While you have the ability to help them out, and it doesn't have to be with a lot, but with whatever is within your reach, what good is your desire if it's not accompanied by something to help that person? In other words, your wishful desire for your brother or sister to be clothed or filled is useless if you're not doing something to help. And in the same way that a person's desire for the needy to be warmed and filled will not help, faith without works is useless. It's also interesting that for the third time, James uses an example involving the needy in this letter. In chapter 1, he contrasts the rich and the poor man's faith. In chapter 2, he talks about not showing partiality towards the poor and the rich and ignoring the poor. And now in our, in our passage this morning, he provides another example that has to do with the needy. And in scripture, generally, when something is repeated, it's important to pay attention. We can see that James is making an emphasis on the needy, which can lead us to see that 
An increased sensitivity towards the needs of others can be a good indication of the genuineness of one's faith. That one's faith is mature. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone who acknowledges the need of others has genuine faith. Because there are many folks who see a need and don't do anything about it. Continue walking as if they didn't see anything. But the one who shows compassion for others and moves in love by helping with whatever their neighbor needs and does so with whatever is within their reach shows a sign of faith that is genuine. And so James provides a second example in verse 18. James says, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. So James says, okay, sure. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. James challenges the kind of thinking, this kind of thinking, by asking such a person to prove his faith without works. And as I thought about it, it's impossible to show one's faith without one's works. Because faith is internal and invisible. Faith can only be made visible by works. The person who claims to have faith in Christ demonstrates it by his obedience to Christ or by his lifestyle reflecting Christ. Reflecting the nature, the new nature that has been given. And this is why James says, I will show you my faith by my works. Now, what kind of works is James referring to? This is important because there's a a certain kind of works that validates genuine faith. And so generally speaking, there there are good works, but anyone can do good works. Right? Anyone can write a check and donate it to charity or volunteer at a local shelter or help an elderly person cross the street. Right? But there's a certain kind of works that God is looking for. There's a certain kind of works that's distinctively Christian. For example, in Scripture, God calls... Husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, considering her to be equal to himself. So Christian husbands, or husbands this morning, are you loving your wife as Christ loves the church? Are you laying aside your desires to serve are you, laying, are you laying aside your desires to serve yourself, to serve your wife? This is a distinct good work, as James refers to it, or a fruit of a genuine faith in Christ. It's something that the world can't imitate. If you're a boyfriend, how are you caring for your girlfriend? Are you protecting her and being watchful so as to not deceive her? Are you walking in purity and leading by example? 
We live in a culture where this is not the norm. But this is a good work or a fruit of genuine faith that can only be produced by a transformed lifestyle. So what are the good works or fruits or evidences in your life that give proof of your faith in Christ? There are distinct works in your life that are a result of obedience to God's word. Children, are you respecting your parents because God, God's word calls you to do so? These are all works that, that are produced because of one's faith in Christ. Now, once again, it's obvious that we will not do this perfectly. None of us can. If we could, we would have no need for Christ. As a matter of fact, Christ came to do this on behalf of sinful men so that salvation could be made possible by His work and not ours. What James is getting at is that our lives must be characterized by a growth in our obedience to Christ. A maturing of our faith that displays love for God and our neighbor. James says, if your faith in Christ is genuine, your lifestyle will be transformed. And if your lifestyle is not transformed, your faith is not genuine. So here we see that James challenges the belief that faith apart from works is and James extends his example of a useless faith in verse 19 he describes it uh, a demonic faith he says there in verse 19 you, you believe that God is one you do well even the demons believe and shudder James says that demons believe in God yet they are not saved in other words Simply agreeing with God about who He has revealed Himself to be does not mean that one is saved. For example, uh, in Matthew 8.29, we read of the time that Jesus healed two demon-possessed men. And the demons uh, that Jesus encountered recognized Him and cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? So these demons knew who Jesus was and they knew that judgment was coming. But yet, those demons were not saved or are not saved, cannot be saved, will not be saved. James says that demons not only have a right understanding of who God is, but they also shudder, they tremble as a result of their understanding of who God is. And James wants his audience to know that having a right understanding of who God is, is not enough. To prove one has genuine faith. And that's why James says, You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe. And they shudder. In verse 20, he continues, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? So the demons' problem is not that they don't acknowledge who God is. Their problem is that they cannot and will not submit to Christ. And what James cites there in verse 19, you believe that God is one, refers to the Shema, which is the most important prayer in Judaism, or one of them. And it's found in Deuteronomy 4. And it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
And then it continues, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And this was recited throughout the day. For us today, it could be translated as, I believe in God the Father, I believe in God the Son, I believe in God the Holy Spirit, I believe in the Trinity, in the Godhead. And James is saying that agreeing with these theological truths is not enough to validate genuine faith. That kind of faith, the faith without works, without obedience, without submission to Christ, cannot save anyone. And so this leads us to our second point. Fruitful faith is useful faith. Fruitful faith is useful faith. And so James turns to what genuine faith is and provides two examples. The first one is found in verse, verses 21 through 24. He says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So, James says that one is justified by works and not by faith alone. And out of context, it would appear that this contradicts Paul's teaching on salvation by grace alone. So how do we reconcile these two things? James says that a person is justified uh, that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Paul says, no, salvation is by grace through faith and not a result of works. Well, the context that James provides helps us to understand how these two work together. In verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? In scripture, we learn that Abraham was justified long before he offered up his son Isaac, or where he uh, obeyed and was preparing to offer Isaac. And as we've seen in Genesis, 30 years prior to obeying God's command to offer Isaac as a sacrifice, Abraham had received the promise from God. In Genesis 15, 1 through 6, God made a covenant with Abram promising to give him a son who would be his heir. His son would produce offspring that would be innumerable, innumerable like the stars in the sky. And then in Genesis 15, 6, we learn that Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord counted his faith, his faith in the Lord as righteousness. So there in Genesis 15, 6, God justified Abraham because of his faith. In Genesis 22, about 30 years later, Abraham obeyed God when God called him to offer his son as a sacrifice by moving towards that offering. And his obedience in going to offer, to offer Isaac as a sacrifice was what justified, what we read as uh, justified his works. So what is James saying? James is saying that 
Abraham's faith in Genesis 22 is evidence that his faith in Genesis 15 was genuine, that it was real. When God called him to offer Isaac, Abraham obeyed. His faith was real. He submitted to God. In this sense, Abraham was justified by his works, but not because his works make him righteous before God, because Paul makes this clear. Faith is the base base of our justification before God. And this is the same way that we are saved today. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul writes, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So what is he saying? He's saying that Christ did not know sin, for Christ is sinless. We find this in Scripture. When people accused him, Jesus says, said, which one of you convicts me of sin? No one could blame him or find guilt in him. And Paul says, for our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So God made Christ to be the payment for our sin. For what purpose? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, Jesus' sacrifice makes one just before God. This is a real event that has taken place. The question is, will you place your faith in Christ, in what God has done for you in Christ? This is the call of the gospel. Will you turn away from yourself and turn to the one who can save you? Does your faith acknowledge that you need to be forgiven for your sins? Because you recognize that you are a sinner. And does that faith lead you to submit to God? Jesus took on God's wrath so that you could be counted as righteous before God. So that I could be counted as righteous before God. If you believe in what Christ has done, God will declare you to be just and innocent. And this is incredible. This is God's grace to sinners. We're not just. But God declares us just by our faith in Christ and His atoning work. Not because of anything that we've done to earn it. But it's all because of what Christ has done. And from that moment forward, followers of Christ begin to live in a way that reflects Christ's character. We begin to give evidence of the new nature that we have been given. We begin to obey Christ and to submit to what He says. This is what it means that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And in verse 22, Paul I mean, James says that he talks about the importance of works. He doesn't disregard faith. He says, you see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. When we obey God, 
or as James puts it, when we do works that are pleasing to God, faith is active along with it. True, genuine faith naturally produces obedience in the life of a Christian. It drives a Christian to strive for holiness, to turn away from the things of this world, and to obey Christ. So James says that faith was completed by his works. In other words, Abraham, your faith has been perfected. It has come to maturity. It's maturing. And this is the example that we find in Abraham. It's a positive example that Abraham's faith validated, that Abraham's works validated his faith. And the second example of positive saving, uh, of a positive example of genuine faith, is the example that James provides in Rahab. In verse 25, we read. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Now, Rahab was a woman from Jericho. And when the Israelites were going to conquer the city of Jericho, uh, they sent spies to check out the land and they were called to return with their findings. But when they arrived at the city, we find that Rahab had placed her faith in God the God of the Israelites. In Jericho, it was known that the God of Israel had done great miracles for his people, and so Rahab put her faith in that God. So when the spies arrived, she opened her home to protect them. She put her faith in God and risked her, risked her life by hiding the spies. She put her life on the line. By protecting those spies that belong to God. And so James is helping us understand that real faith is always accompanied by works. To the point where there will be proof to back up our faith. On the other hand. To not see evidence of that faith. Should lead us to conclude that our faith is not genuine. And I hope that that's becoming clear this morning. And it's interesting to see how God's grace is found in His Word. We have two examples, Abraham and Rahab. Now it's understandable that James would include Abraham, right? The father of the faith. One who people would be happy to identify themselves with. He was a man. He was wealthy. He was called a friend of God. But Rahab? James goes on the opposite end of the spectrum and includes a woman. And not just that, a Gentile. And one who was looked down on because she was a prostitute. And James says that just as Abraham was justified, so was Rahab. One who had no value in the eyes of others. She was justified by her faith in God and her works as she trusted in God. And James makes it clear that the way of salvation is the same for all people. The way that Abraham was justified 
um, and the way that Rahab was justified is the same way that we are justified today by faith alone this is God's grace and then James concludes in verse 26 for as the body apart from the spirit is dead so also faith apart from works is dead and it's the same thing that James has been saying all along in this passage Remember, saving faith always produces a transformed life, lifestyle. Those with genuine faith will submit to Christ. And when we fall short, we'll repent of it and turn to Him for forgiveness, the forgiveness that He offers, and continue moving forward in obedience. Scripture teaches that a transformed lifestyle is an important test of faith. It gives evidence of one's faith. But a person or someone who remains unwilling to submit to Christ, or as James says, who doesn't produce works, it can be that his or her profession of faith is only a profession. Without heart change, one's true nature will reveal itself. So we must examine our faith and make sure that the kind of faith that we possess is the kind of faith that God accepts. The one who believes he's a good person but does not possess, um, but does not display um, his good works does not possess saving faith or genuine faith. The one who only agrees with the truths about who God is, but does not prove it by an obedient lifestyle, does not possess genuine faith. Remember, Jesus says that on that day, many will say to Him, Lord, Lord, we did so many different things in Your name, and He will respond, Depart from me, you doers of evil. I never knew you. And he also says in Luke 6.46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? So he calls us to check our works. So according to scripture, the one who possesses genuine faith is the person who places his faith in Jesus' finished work on the cross. And then as a result, submits to him. So if you're visiting today and you know yourself not to be a Christian... Or, you, or if you've tried to piggy, piggyback on a false confession of faith, knowing that you don't intend on practicing what Jesus calls you to do, God is calling you to repent and believe. Because this is what distinguishes those who have genuine faith from those who have a useless faith. Faith is to fully depend on, to fully trust in Christ, in the risen Jesus to do what He has promised to do. Remember, the greatest need of man is to be found righteous before God's eyes. And we can only attain this righteousness by turning to Christ, by believing in His work and what He's accomplished, that He has been the substitute for our sins. And God can do this legally based on what Jesus has done. 
We trust that God will substitute Jesus' record for ours and will declare us to be righteous. And repentance is the flip side of this. Repentance is to turn away from those sins that we once loved and to turn to the God that we once hated as um, a famous pastor is known for saying. And so repentance is not optional. Repentance is something that will flow from our faith in Christ and our understanding that we have rebelled against a good and loving God. So will you believe in Christ for the salvation of your soul? What kind of faith do you have? Can you prove your faith by your work? Does your lifestyle give evidence that you trust in God? If it's difficult for you to find proof in your life, then you may be called to believe in Christ and turn away from your sins. Let's pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you. We praise you as being a good God, a giver of good gifts, as being the one who calls us forth, all because of your will. The one who saves people based on the work, the finished work of your son, Jesus Christ, and not based on on the things that we can do. Because if that were the case, we'd be lost. We thank you, God, that you have been patient and kind and your patience has been meant for our repentance. And so we thank you that we can come boldly before you now and thank you for your good works, for your goodness to us. We pray, Lord, that if anyone here lacks the assurance of their faith, that you would help them to see where their faith stands. And that you would assure or that you would convict and that you would be drawing people to yourself so that they would be saved. And that you would be glorified and that Christ would receive the reward for his suffering. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.